Oh, yeah. Um, all the actors will get a chocolate at the end. Or now. Oh, no, now. Now, now. My, my lovely assistant will pass out some chocolates. Um, as, uh, as the actors are getting their things, let me just ask, was that what happened? Was it? No? What? What? You mean eight angels weren't as cute and lovely as Katie? Is that what <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, at this point, I did want to get the roughest, scariest man we know to stand up, but he's not here this morning. Where's Dan Schweer? He's not here. Because <laughs> um, when, when, when angels appear, people are terrified when they see them. They don't go, oh, that's cute. They shake with fear. Even people like Dan Schweer would do that. And um, did it happen in a stable? I don't think so. I don't think it happened in a stable at all. In fact, I think probably there weren't any inns in, um, in Bethlehem at that time, but the homes were very simple, um, quite poor. Normally, each home would just have one room, and the family would bring their animals into the room where they slept. Um, and, and Bethlehem was, was full of people, and, and the, the culture was very hospitable. So if somebody turns up, especially from your family, you don't say to them, there is no room. Now, later on today, we're going to go to Reading, where my family are, and there are going to be far too many people in the house than there are rooms and beds. Um, and my dad does have a shed, but I know that he's not going to make anyone sleep in the shed. We're going to make room somehow. We're all going to cram in together. And I reckon that's probably what happened in Bethlehem that first Christmas. Everyone crammed in together. Um, and there happened to be, um, that's my um, manger. It's gone, hasn't it? Um, there's baby Jesus. We'll set him up. Um, there happened to be a manger there because there was one there to feed the animals. And that's where um, the baby was put. Um, but you know, we, we love at Christmas time to tell the story like, like we've done, don't we? And we, we love to tell the story with children. Now, what is that all about? Um, earlier this year, Phil Warner introduced us to one of the words of the year, which is hallucination with a new meaning. The new meaning is when artificial intelligence fakes something and presents as real something that is not actually there. Now, could we say that our nativity plays are hallucinations? No, I don't think so. Um, I think that actually our love of getting children to tell the story gets to the very heart of the story. And nativity plays are famous uh, for to be full of errors and mistakes and muddles and giggles and tears. And my wife tells me she's done a couple at school this year. Um, but in the middle, always at the middle, in the middle of the play is a newborn baby. Uh, it's a story that doesn't need to be told by the old and wise. It can be told by the little and the still learning. But the history is always focused on the newly born baby. In fact, the only character in the play who doesn't have any words, doesn't have any agency or actions, who just does where well, he gets to lie wherever he gets put. He gets put in a box, gets put in a, in a manger. Um, at the very center is someone very, very small. Now, Luke, in his account, the real account, as Matty read for us, um, repeatedly tells us the baby is wrapped up in cloths and lying in a manger. Wrapped up so he can't move because a baby doesn't really have control over its own movement. Well, when a baby is released from a womb, his arms and his legs wiggle around in all kinds of ways and has to get wrapped up and has to be lie and he lies wherever he is placed. And the wonder of the Christmas story is that the ordinary baby born in a very ordinary way in an ordinary place among ordinary people this is absolutely God 
who has come to be with us. God himself who has come into our errors and our mistakes and our muddles and our giggles and even our tears. As the carol says, low within the manger lies he who made the starry skies. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. God has come down to the very bottom. And it's the moment in history, the moment in history most loaded with wonder. Nothing else matches this moment. And it made the angels sing. And we're going to stand and we're going to encourage each other to listen to the song of the angels as we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Let's stand and sing. Please do take your seats. Uh, The history of that first Christmas includes, as Matty read, uh, these verses. It says, while they were there, Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. There's really nothing remarkable about those verses at all. Um, you know, these things have been happening right since the beginning of time. It, those verses, in a sense, have happened for every single one of us here. We were born, we were probably wrapped up, and we were laying somewhere. And that has happened billions and billions of times. And yet this time that Luke records, it marked the entrance into the world of a goodness that is wonderful beyond our comprehension. And I'm just going to spend a moment thinking a little more about it. Uh, in some ways, the reason why this birth is so important, the reason why it's so good is by, it, is, it can be seen when we think about a great fear. You see, Luke, in his account, after mentioning the birth of the baby, takes us to the hills outside Bethlehem, to the shepherds who are doing their job looking after the sheep. Uh, let, let's, let's pay very close attention to what he records. It says in verse 9, um, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, And they were terrified. The shepherds are not easily frightened. Their job is to guard the sheep from predators and from um, thieves. They they were tough men. They weren't easily scared. But their response to the angel literally says they feared a great fear. You see, Luke tells us this is the angel of the Lord. He comes from God. And the angel tells us that the shining of the angel is the shining of the glory of the Lord. He brings a real sense of God into the place. Now the angel, of course, is mighty. And it's scary to be in the presence of great power. Uh, When it's been raining and you go across the little Paxton bridges and the river roars and races underneath, um, it's a little bit nerve-wracking to look over the railing, as I sometimes do, and wonder what it would be like to fall into the water I wouldn't stand a chance. I'd be bashed to pieces very quickly. That's just a little river in Little Paxton. But when you're near something with power, it is scary. But but this shining of the glory of the Lord isn't just scary because the angel is so mighty. There is something more dangerous going on. The glory of God is not simply that God is most strong, but that God is most holy. There is no purity like God and, and any wrongdoing, any sin cannot endure his presence. Like a, a snowflake before a fire, it cannot survive. The shepherds fear, feel this fear, they experience this fear, which is in some sense a primeval fear. Now, when the first man, Adam, did what was wrong and he sinned against God, um, and God came looking for Adam, Adam felt this fear. And God had said, if you sin against me, you can't endure before me. 
Your life cannot go on with sin in it. And Adam was afraid. Rightly, he was afraid. As we've looked at the prophet Isaiah on our Sunday mornings, Isaiah had that vision of God and his great glory and his great holiness. And he responded with a cry of agony. He melted in his terror and he said, I'm undone and I've seen God. I am unclean. I cannot survive. My life cannot go on with sin in it. And so these shepherds like that in the presence of God's glory feared a great fear. And it was a true fear. Now some of our fears aren't true if we fear the shadows. But this was a true fear. Now like Adam and like Isaiah and like these shepherds, all of us have done what is wrong. There is sin in our hearts and sooner or later we will all be presented before the holy infinite majesty of God Almighty. The one who made all things and holds all things. We cannot survive with sin in our hearts. We've, our lives cannot endure forever because of sin. The Bible makes it very clear that death is the result of sin. And these shepherds, as they fear a great fear, they feared until the angel spoke. And when the angel spoke, the great fear was turned to great joy. The angel said, do not be afraid. And those words aren't spoken lightly. You see, if, if the shepherds, as they feared that great fear, if they actually stopped and turned to one another and said, do not be afraid. If they said, actually, come on, guys, what are we doing? We're good people. We're salt of the earth people. We work hard at our jobs. We don't need to be afraid. And we're tough. You know, we can look after ourselves. And this idea about sin and judgment, it's all a bit old hat, isn't it? And actually, guys, come on, think about it. We're, we're, we're naturally quite good, aren't we? We're, we're certainly not any worse than everybody else. Um, every bit of improvement here and there may be needed, but no, we, in fact, guys, think about it. We're better than all those other people who do the really bad stuff. If the shepherds start talking like that, like people do, it'd be like passing around blindfolds on the Bethlehem Hill, be pretending that there was no blazing glory in the middle of the night, preferring the dark of the night. It'd be like standing on the little Paxton Bridge commanding the river to stop. Now, the only way the fear can be relieved is for the source of the fear to say so. Now, these shepherds are terrified because they're sinners in the presence of God. It's only going to be a word from God who has the authority to put aside their fear. And that's the word the angels speak. You see, the angel hasn't come with the glory of God to bring judgment. Hasn't come to bring fear. But in fact, the opposite. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you, says the angel, to you men who are now shaking in your fear. It is news for you and it is for all the people. For all who realise they cannot stand in their sin before the holiness of mighty God. It is good news. And the good news is this, says the angel. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You don't need to be afraid, not because God is not mighty, not because God is not holy, but because contained in his glory, as Luke 178 says, contained in his glory is tender mercy. Mercy that shines on those who live under the shadow of death. And the mercy is that the saviour has been born. The shepherds, they have this fear, a primeval fear, because their sin puts them in eternal peril. For us, our Our fear, if we rightly feel it, if we could lift the blinds for a moment and consider ourselves dressed in our impurity, being led into the presence of the most holy God before whom sinners must melt like snowflakes before a furnace. We all have a cause to fear because our sin puts us in eternal peril. But the angel announces the saviour is born. 
The one who has power to rescue us from our danger. One who has power to pluck us from our peril and place us into safety. The saviour long awaited, says the angel. He's the Messiah born into the town of David. Fulfilling those long hold promises of a coming king. Who would rescue his people and establish them in forever happiness. The angel says he's come. He's been born today. And, and focus in, just focus in for this moment on where the hope comes. Look where, look at the, the thing that turns great fear to great joy. The, the thing is that this Messiah who is the Lord, he is a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Yeah, on Christmas we peer into infinite mystery and majesty. Now, Luke already wrote before this about the Lord coming. God himself coming, John the Baptist coming to prepare the way for God to arrive. And, and then the angel shines to the shepherd who is the angel of the Lord. And what he shines out is the glory of the Lord. And then announces that the baby, frail and weak, wrapped and laying in a manger, this baby is that Lord. The Lord who is beyond and above all things. The infinite, unchanging creator. The everlasting God. The psalm says that the everlasting God must stoop. Even to look into creation. He is so far above. This is the Lord. The only Lord. The Lord of all glory. That is who is found in the Bethlehem manger. Now this Lord. Being God. He cannot change or ever stop being God. But found in the manger to have become what he was not. God taken to himself a human nature. Lo within the manger lies he who made the starry skies. He who holds the universe in place is the one lying in the manger. The theologians call this the extra Calvinisticum. Try and say that after your Christmas dinner. Um, say it together, extra Calvinisticum. Say it together. Extra That's going to be a really useless phrase for you to know, isn't it? And, but what it means is that the baby in the manger is not the one who once held the starry skies. It means he is the one who still holds the universe in place. Even when they wrap him in cloths, because he's a true baby, like every other, unable to control his own limbs, only able to be placed where they put him. Even while he must depend on his mum to feed him, at the same time, he is also the God who fills everything, who is uncontainable and unplaceable and unlimited in his infinite majesty and perfections. That's the extra Calvinisticum, and it is awesome. Because Jesus Christ, he is awesome. Awesome because he is completely human and completely God, both at the same time without lessening or changing any of his humanness or his godness, but being both fully and completely. And this is the tenderness of his mercy. The tenderness of his mercy that though he was so high, so he is always so high. We can't express or explain how utterly high he is. That he came so low. He came into our errors and our mistakes and our muddles and our giggles and our tears. Came right into our situation so that we might hear the blessed words of the heavenly announcement. You do not need to be afraid. The Savior has come. He's come so low, become like us as a baby wrapped in cloths and laying wherever they were put in. And then, as a man, others also did to him what they wanted. Put him not in a wooden manger, but onto a wooden cross. Murdered him there. Then others took him down, and again, he was wrapped in cloth, just like he was when he was a baby. 
but this time his corpse placed in the tomb. Because he is the Messiah. It's what he came for. He came to die to rescue us, to die for our sins, the one who is righteous and perfect in every way, standing in the place of the unrighteous, so that through his death he might bring us to God, so that we might be presented into the presence of infinite holiness. We might approach the judgment seat of heaven no longer clothed in our impurity, but dressed in the very righteousness of Christ. And then he rose again. Death could not keep a hold of him. He rose, and when he rose, he tore open that curtain of death. He threw back the shadow of death and brought a new dawn for his people. Now, when the angel announced this good news to the shepherds, when the angel announced it, there was suddenly an eruption of noise. The army of heaven appeared in the skies, a crying out. There was an outburst of heaven's praise. The angelic army praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Heaven sends its son with a song in its heart. Jesus comes with heaven's happiness. And the shepherds hear and they investigate what they've been told. And they make known what they have been told. And then at the end of the reading this morning, verse 20 says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The happiness of heaven stretches to earth in the birth of Jesus Christ and invites all people to join that song. Invites all to praise and glorify the God who commands our fears be still. Even our deepest fear, even our deepest fear of death and eternal night. He commands us not to fear because Jesus has been born. Born to be our saviour. Born to be the saviour of anyone who will have him. And so as we sing in a carol, where meek hearts will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Don't miss Jesus this Christmas. Don't miss out on Jesus this Christmas. The tender mercies and the infinite love and eternal peace and great joy forever and ever and the highest glory that goes to God who does all of this. Jesus Christ has come and he has come for you. That's enough to make our hearts happy forever and ever. And let me pray again and then we're going to sing and encourage each other to look at our great God. Our Father in heaven, on this Christmas morning, we praise you again for the wonderful, inexpressible gift of your Son. Lord, wonders that we cannot fathom, and when we peer into them, Lord, we lose ourselves so quickly. But may we do that and be caught up into the majesty and the mystery and the wonder that you, mighty God, would do such for us. We pray that all of us here this morning, that our hearts would stretch in adoration towards the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would know that he has come for such as us, come for us in our muddles and our mistakes, come for us in our giggles and in our tears, come for us to meet us where we are so that we might be brought to where he is. We praise you, Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we stand together and encourage each other to look at our God.